Just for kicks, raise your hand. You've heard this story before? How many of you have heard this story before? Almost everybody. Just a couple. It's, it's such a familiar story. You could think back to being in second and third grade, and it's kind of comical. You imagine yourself laying in bed, hearing a voice, and running into the bedroom. Dad, you called me. No, go lay down. And it's the Lord speaking to you. We've heard it so many years. Let's remind ourselves a little bit of the context before we make some applications and, and run into the message. Remember that this, uh, the context of what's going on right now is that the religious leaders are, have completely contaminated the worship of God. The priests, Eli's son, Hophni and Phinehas, have uh, looked down upon the sacrifices of God. Remember they stole part of it as it was boiling in the pot or demanded that certain cuts of meat be taken before it was even sacrificed by the people. And then worse than that, they're having sex with the women in front of the tabernacle. People who are supposed to be serving God in the tabernacle are being utilized as prostitutes. And the Lord is going to judge that sin. His plan is to call Samuel and to replace those boys, men, with Samuel as prophet and priest. And his message to Samuel is the one he already told Eli, you are going to be punished and your house is going to be cut off. It's a fascinating term. It means to have his arms cut off. His, his, all of his descendants will be destroyed. Remember, remember this in chapter 2. Only one descendant will be left and the only purpose for leaving one descendant is so that he can cry at the demise of the whole family. And I learned a word this week. The whole, the whole situation can be described as one of decrepitude. Isn't that a great word? Decrepitude. It's just a disaster. And God is calling Samuel to tell him what he is going to do. He is going to raise him up to replace the sinful religious leaders with him. But it's a mark of the horrific, dark times. And perhaps the greatest mark of these times is the first verse of chapter 3. Everybody's got their Bible open, which is good. I'm going to speak about that in just a minute. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, and this is maybe the worst of all, that the word of the Lord was rare. The word of the Lord was rare. I'll speak about that in a minute, but I want to show you a little bit about the structure of the chapter so we can understand what's being said. I mean, the whole point of the chapter is God has chosen to reveal himself to his people, to Samuel specifically. God has chosen to call him. Just walk through the chapter. Let me point it out. In verse 1, I just read it. The word of the Lord was rare. Then in verses 4, 6, and 8, you have kind of this comical situation where the Lord calls. The Lord calls. The Lord calls. And Samuel is mistaken for a little bit. In verse 7, it tells us the reason Samuel didn't understand is because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Again, the word is the theme of the passage. In verse 10, it says the Lord comes and stands and calls. This is a debated passage. Did the Lord physically appear to Samuel? It's unclear. In verse number 17, after the message is given, of course you have the whole section where God is speaking, but in verse 17, Eli demands Samuel, hey, what did God say? 
What did he tell you? Again, the word of God is at the heart of the whole chapter. Verse 19 tells us none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. Verse 20, he's established as a prophet. And then we read chapter 4, verse 1, that Samuel's word came to all of Israel. Here's what's basically happening. God's word is really becoming Samuel's word. Samuel is speaking on God's behalf. God is using Samuel to share his message with the nation. He is becoming a prophet. A prophet simply is one who stands and speaks for God. The word of God, if you underline with a red marker all throughout, you'd underline word and called and speak and say and tell, and it's all about God revealing himself. So let me talk just generally first about the word of God. I don't think we understand the magnitude of this statement, I make it every Sunday. Take your Bibles and turn with me to whatever. Do you know that really has only been said for the last 400 years or so? Prior to that, people didn't have their own copies of the Word of God. And then there are places around the world today that do not have their own copy of the Word of God. And this is what the situation was like in Samuel's day. The Word of God was rare. There weren't visions all the time. Now in chapter 2, remember the end of chapter 2 when, when uh, God sends, this is verse number 27, God sends a man of God to speak to Eli. What the passage is telling us is that did not happen a lot. God did not speak very much at this time. So not only was it dark because of the sinful things that were going on in the priesthood. And of course, that priesthood would trickle down to the people. Well, if it's okay for Hophni and Phinehas to sleep around and steal sacrifices and look down on the sacrifices of God, then, then it must be okay for us. And so the nation was entering into this decrepitude, and, and God is withdrawing his word. How dark and awful would it be? Let me make a couple statements about the word of God, just to encourage us. First of all, the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is powerful in two different ways. First, Word of God. God's Word is what gives physical life. In Genesis chapter 1, everything came into being because of this phrase, and God what? Said. Or work. He said. When God spoke, things came into being. We just talked about this in our teen Sunday school class. Listen to Psalm 33, verse 6 and verse 9. It is by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Hebrews 11:3 says, It is by faith that we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So I want us to understand this, that Satan's primary attack since the beginning of the Garden of Eden was an attack on the word of God. Because when Eve and Adam... Were, uh, was Eve specifically was considering eating the forbidden fruit, the snake comes, Satan comes and says, in the King James, yea, has God said, question mark? You don't really believe the word of God, do you? Do you know all of us who believe that God created the world by simply speaking in six literal days, you know what we're looked at by the world? Idiots! You believe that fairy tale? I do. Because God's word tells us that in six days, God spoke and made 
everything that there is. His word has that creative power. But even, maybe even more importantly, secondly, his word has regenerative power. That is, God's word can make physical life and it can also make what? Are you tracking with me? Spiritual life. Before God's word was heard and received by us, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are spiritually dead. Many of us were saved at a younger age and we can't remember it, but the truth still remains. We didn't want to have anything to do with God. We were haters of God, enemies. We, we were hostile towards Him in our mind and in our lives. And then His word was heard and we responded to it. And this is what the Scripture says. 1 Peter 1.23 You have been born again, but not of perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed, You have been born again through the living, abiding Word of God. None of you who are saved in here today, none of you, were saved apart from the hearing of the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. You must hear the Word of God to be saved. It does no good for you to go tell your unbelieving friends, I got a great church. Oh, this church has changed my life. Oh, don't you want to go to heaven? That They need to hear the Word of God. It is the Word of God that has the power. It has this creative power, and it has this recreative power. The Word of God is powerful. Second, the Word of God is perfect. The Word of God is perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. If you have a smartphone, you know that every few weeks you get that little notification. Your smartphone needs to be updated because there's a glitch or a twitch or a something in there that needs to be fixed. So you've got to download this update. This needs no updating, adapting, changing, even though people want to change it. I'm not talking about unbelievers. There are so-called believers and pastors who are saying, we don't need the Word of God anymore. A very prominent pastor in the South who has one of the biggest churches in America said these words that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Crazy. So not only does the Word of God have this ability that it is powerful, it is also trustworthy. You can rely on the Word of God because it is perfect and pure. There are no errors, mistakes, problems. There is no need to update it for 21st century. Is this 21st century? 21st living. We don't need to. Well, the culture is now grown and advanced to a certain stage. And of course, this archaic book doesn't have the same meaning anymore. I hope you don't buy that. I hope you understand that this is the inerrant Word of God. Needs no changing. It is the living, active Word of God that is able to pierce our souls and divide even to the joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts of our hearts. It is powerful. It is perfect. And third, I hope this is the case, it is precious. It is precious. Psalm 19.10, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 119.127 says, I love your commandments above gold. And 2 Peter 1 verse 4, We are given many great and precious promises. How blessed we are to have this book. Let me say one more thing and then we'll get into the second, first Samuel again. The Word of God is powerful, perfect, and precious. And also, number four, it is prominent. Prominent. What I mean by that is it is well known. 
at least in our nation, in our world. It is available to us very easily and readily. Anytime we would like to read a Bible, we can. We have Bibles on our phones. We have multiple Bibles in our homes. We can listen to people read the Bible to us. I sit in this room surrounded by not only Bibles, but books that explain the Bible. And perhaps because of this familiarity with the Bible, we have become to take the Bible for granted. This week, Leah went to an estate sale. She likes to do that, which is another reminder to us that life is so brief. Can you imagine someone just going through our home and fingering our clothes and walking through all our stuff that we cared so much about? Now it's selling for 50 cents a dollar, etc. Our mug collection, our Game Boy systems, whatever it is we have, it's just gone. But she found a book, a child's book that she, I don't know, liked or knew of. And she discovered in the cover of it by this very, forgive me, I don't know who it is, but it's supposedly some very famous author. And he autographed the book. So she's looking online, see if this is worth any money. How great it would be if we had this. I mean, she's not saying that, but this is how people react. And then I I thought about this because I'm thinking about this message. They're sitting on that shelf. I have a book that contains the Word of God. Isn't that sometimes our reaction? We walk right by it every morning. We're busy. We've got things to do. I'll read it tonight. I'll hear pastor talk about it on Sunday. It is the word of God. Can you imagine if Afghanistan Christians could sit in a service like this today, what their response to the word of God would be? when they're struggling to even live in light of the situation there. When we imagine how dark it might be without the Word of God, we can understand the context of 1 Samuel chapter 3, that the Word of the Lord was rare. Crazy. Now, who knows how old Samuel is? Let's get into the story. We don't know. Some people have said he's 11. I don't think he was that young. Maybe 13, 15, 17. We can't be sure about this. But he is living in this time when the word of God is rare. So let's ask ourselves this question. Why do you think that is? Why do you think God's word was rare? Why do you think he wasn't speaking? It may be, even as we talked about last week, another sign of God's judicial hardening. The word of God is is his gift to us. I've said this before. I have certain phrases I say a lot, and I'm sorry for saying this over and over. But God, God would be terrible at hide and seek. God wants to be known. But if God had not revealed himself to us through his word, we would be groping in darkness without any hope or thought of him at all. We cannot manufacture a word from God. I'm telling you, it grinds me. It grinds me. I got to get off these YouTube vortexes, which takes me into these false teachers. I told you about this one I'm watching called Hit the Bar. And this couple, it means they hit the space bar every time they hear something bad from this teacher and they explain why it's no good, it's not biblical. And I started watching these and it's like, this. it just makes me want to vomit. Especially when the person says, Oh, I have a word from the Lord today. And then he goes off to say something random. Yeah, you have a word from the Lord today as long as it's here. 
Could you imagine, hey, I have a word from the Lord today. Uh, the Lord wants me to take an offering because I need, you know, a new truck. Oh, it's a word from God. This is what people are doing. And, and this is why, uh, as I say, it may be a sign of God's judicial hardening. You see the religious leaders spurning God and spurning his sacrifice. And it's like I've said, when a nation and when a group of people say, God, we don't want you, God is happy to oblige you. When you, as young people, say, I'm, I'm, I don't want God, God does not force his way in. He, he actually begins to back off. And as I said last week, there's coming a day when he backs off for good. No one knows when that time might be, which is why the urgency to respond to his word today. The blessed words of Hebrew chapter 1 are these, that God spoke. God spoke. And you, right in your lap, I want you to get this. You have the word of God. The priesthood being corrupt, God's wrath was set upon these people. And others who were following the priestly lead, the removal of his word was part of this judgment. Here's an important statement. The absence of God's word indicates the absence of his presence. The absence of God's word indicates the absence of his presence. And on the flip side of that, when God's word has free course among God's people, it is a sign of God's grace. Listen to this quote. The guy who wrote a book on 1 Samuel talks about this very thing. If contemporary believers, that's you all, contemporary believers, if you have a church where social activities, committee meetings, and flashy programs have not eclipsed the place of the Word of God, if the teaching of the Word of God is at the heart of the church's life, if there is a ministry where the scriptures are clearly, accurately, simply, and helpfully preached and taught, then you are rich in the grace of God. You can walk into churches today and the ambiance is set up so that the word of God is on a screen. You don't have to do the work of opening your Bible. Everything is dark. No one is looking at the Word of God. No one is carrying the Word of God. And the pastor is barely speaking the Word of God. The flash is the lights and the fog and the programs and the camps and the, and the, and the flashy buildings and the coffee hours. And, and the Word of God is no longer central. Pastors don't think they can keep their people's attention if they speak longer than 15 minutes and don't have clips of clowns blowing up cars and, and dancers with flags and whoever. Like the Word of God is no longer given the priority in that place. And what I'm saying is the absence of the Word of God is actually the absence of the presence of God. doesn't matter how big that church is. It's just a gathering. But if you have a place, and if you ever leave this place and go to another place, and as long as I have breath, what is going to be central to this church is the reading and the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. Some churches won't even open the Bible just to read it. This is what it says in Timothy. It says, Timothy, as you are pastoring a church in Ephesus, give attention to the public reading of the Scripture. You all should be carrying your Bible, opening your Bible, looking at your Bible. It's a precious holy book. I'm not, I'm not standing in judgment with these other ministries, although in a sense, 
if they've taken the word of God and put it in a, in a side place, then I am. How can you expect people to walk into a dark auditorium and just kind of look at the pastor? And, and we should be looking down at our scriptures. The word of God is rare. Some of you might think this. Hey, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? So it was rare in Samuel's days. It's not rare now. Right? We've talked about how the Bible is so prominent. It's not rare now. Listen to this very important statement. Very important statement. Starvation can happen not only because there's no food, but because you have a lack of an appetite. Right? You can starve even if there's food. If you're not hungry. Are you hungry for the Word of God? Turn with me. I, want, I don't normally do this, but I want you to look at this passage in Amos. It's a hard one to find, so hopefully you have those little side notes on your Bible that tell you where the book is. But if you're looking on your phone, very easy. But it's Amos chapter 8. I'll give you just a second. Do you hunger for the Word of God? As you're turning there, just a quick statement. I was listening to something, and uh, some of you are familiar with the guy Sinclair Ferguson, who's been a pastor of Presbyterian Church for a long, long time, written many books, very popular, sought-after speaker and sound follower of, the, of God. He said that frequently on panels, he goes to conferences all the time. Still looking for Amos, aren't you? Yeah, it's okay. Keep looking. Amos chapter 8. When he'll go to these conferences, Sinclair Ferguson will sit on these panels and people can send in questions. And he says he's frequently asked this question, how can we know if our church really hungers after the Word of God? That's a great question. How can we really know if our church is hungering after the Word of God? How can you know if you're hungering after the Word of God? And he talks about a lot of different things, but I thought this was important, and I don't say this as a judgmental situation. I'm just repeating what I heard. He said, a church's true hunger for the Word of God can be discovered in their Sunday night service. Because people come to the Sunday morning and give themselves, you know, to an hour or so, but do they come back? Do you know that in the Reformation period, uh, they would have a sermon at the break of day on Sunday. As soon as the sun came up, they'd have a sermon. They'd have another sermon at like this hour. At, at noon, they'd have catechism classes for children. At three o'clock, they'd have another sermon. And on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they would have sermons. I, I can't imagine being a pastor in those days, preaching six, seven times a week. But there was a hunger for the Word of God. They had just come out of this dark period. In fact, the, the Latin expression for the Reformation is I'm not going to know that, but it's after darkness, light. There's been so much darkness. Now they hunger for the Word of God. Is this hour enough for you? Derek opens the Word of God in Sunday school. We open the Word of God here. We open the Word of God on Sunday night. We open the Word of God on Wednesday night. Starvation can come even if there's food if we lack the appetite. So consider that. Consider that. Look at Amos chapter 8. Here's a verse number 11. It talks about a famine of God's Word. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Oh, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. There's coming a day when God is going to do this again and, and silence himself. How grateful we are for the word of God. I hope that you hunger for it and give some consideration to that. Now, go back to 1 Samuel. 
let's get back into this story and make some applications and quit, okay? It is at this very dark time in Israel's history when the priesthood is corrupt and the word of God is rare. And Eli's an old man. I don't really know what to think of Eli, do you? I mean, later on in the passage, you're going to tell us he's a very heavy man. Here it tells us he's a blind man, kind of vision is going. He's a guy who didn't restrain his boys. Even when he comes to Samuel at the end here, doesn't it seem a little pushy? Tell me what he said. I'm not sure how to read all of Eli. But in verse number two, we're told a little bit about him, that his vision was dim. He's getting old and his vision was dim. There's no question Eli's physical vision was dim, but I think we could also say his spiritual vision was dim too. Remember in chapter one, he couldn't even discern that Hannah was praying not drunk. He didn't have the ability to see his sons in their gross immorality. And here, it took him three times to realize that God was calling Samuel. So he's, he's a little bit out of it. He's failing, and he is going to be replaced. We're not going to walk through all of the calling of Samuel. I mean, we, you know that he does this three times, and the reason is because Samuel did not yet come to know the Lord. This is the same exact phrase as um, what is used of Hophni and Phinehas, that they didn't know the Lord, but Samuel's wasn't in a, in a situation of defiance. There's a real interesting phrase in verse number three that says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. This is talking about the lamp that was in the tabernacle. Physically, it meant that it was night, but symbolically it means there is still hope if God reveals himself. What can we note about this? this just one quick thing before we get to the message that God gives Samuel. I don't know how this is taught in children's things. Sharon, I should talk to you about this. Like you've probably taught it recently about Samuel hearing the voice. And of course, it's meant to say we should be responsive when we hear God's voice. And I'm going to say something about that at the end. But let's think about it from God's perspective for a minute, okay? God calls Samuel. Samuel thinks it's Eli. Nope, go lay down. God calls Samuel again. Samuel thinks it's Eli. No, go lay down. God calls him a third time. Samuel goes, no, it's not. Oh, it might be the Lord. God calls him a fourth time. What are we learning about God? What are we learning about God? God is persistent and patient, and he's willing to come back, and if it's not a heart of defiance, again, a heart of defiance, he backs off and says, I'm going rest- to restrict and restrain. But a heart that is open, he did not yet know the Lord so, so God is patient. Think about the Lord with his disciples in the New Testament. Remember the Lord with his disciples? Jesus says to his disciples, I have many things to tell you, but not yet. You're just not ready yet. The Lord is patient and persistent. Giving, he's, part of that is being exampled right now in that you are hearing the word of God again. How will you respond to it? As Eli finally recognizes it's God, he gives Samuel these instructions. Hey, go back to bed and say, next time it happens, say, speak, Lord, which he does. And God delivers this message of judgment. Just one thing I want to point out, because it's pretty much a repetition of the judgment that he gave Eli. Notice verse number 13 and verse number 14. There's a key word I want you to know. A little bit scary here. Again, he'd already told Eli... It's over. And we're not going to review all that. Listen to last week's message if you want that. 
Verse number 13, he says, Samuel, I'm about to punish his house. Next word, say it. Anybody look in the Bible? See, here's the point. Look at the Bible. I'll cue you one more time. I declare him, I'm about to punish his house. What's the next word? Forever. Forever. And then in verse number 14, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Say it again. That's huge. Huge. Remember that we said that Hophni and Phinehas had rejected the sacrifice that God had set up for the atonement of their sins. Joking around with it, stealing it from the other worshipers. The scripture says, looking on the sacrifices of God with contempt. So because they had rejected that sacrifice, they would be rejected forever. It makes me think of the passage in the New Testament. What will it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? Doesn't it astonish you that people are trading the trinkets of this life for the treasures of the next? Because we know God, many of us in here know God, we look at that and we just, we plead with friends and family, we beg, but they are blinded by this, this world and they want what this world offers. And one day that forever, that, that word just gets me and, and I, sometimes I'll read the passage out loud as I'm studying it and that word just comes at you, doesn't it? Forever. Forever. We walk out of this room and there's no guarantee of another breath for any of us. And if we're not right with God, if we've said in our hearts, well, maybe next Sunday, I, I mean, I'm really excited about what I'm hearing and I, I think I might be unsaved, I might be willing to give myself to Christ and respond to his word, maybe next Sunday. We're not guaranteed that. And so once this life is over, you think about the finality of that forever. Forever. And if you reject the work of Christ as the basis for the payment of your sins, there's no other, there's no plan B. Well, they rejected that, maybe I'll give him this. There, it is Christ alone. No one comes on the Father except through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's terrifying. Let me give you three, three applications. The story ends, but I'll give you three applications. The story ends with Samuel going to Eli and it says, it says in the passage that he lay there. It doesn't say he goes back to sleep. Can you imagine the weight of that message that he has to deliver to Eli? Which he does. And Eli says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems best. After we've discussed all this, can I give you three applications? Think about these three things and we'll quit. And we know what God is doing. He's replacing Eli's sons with Samuel. He's going to restore uh, a godly individual to leadership. Three things. Receiving the word, responding to the word, and then relaying the word. Let me talk about each three things for just a second. Receiving the word. Let us be grateful that God has disclosed himself to us through his word. But do I hunger for it myself? Churches have become social groups to battle social issues. There's a church in Romeo. 
that is concerned about yoga, Native American spirituality, and yoga. They're really concerned about yoga because they mentioned it twice. They're concerned about inclusivity, diversity. Churches have become social gatherings, clubs, where we fight common enemies. And churches like ours, who open the Bible and just clearly say what God has said, are dinosaurs. And God's word, I, I think his word is going to be pulled back and pulled back until finally he just turns us over to judgment. And I think we're seeing that in our nation. Don't be one of those people. Receive the word. That's why I read James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says, Be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to listen to the word of God. It's talking about in a congregational setting. Be quick to listen. And the way you do this is remove all sin and any remnant of wickedness and receive with meekness the word of God. Receive it. Hear it. Hunger for it. Listen to it. Carry, read, study your Bible. This is why for the men's Bible study, you'll see the book. It's just the Word of God. We're just going to talk about the Word of God. Another opportunity. Perhaps this fall, you can expand your interest in the Word of God by coming to other services, by developing your own time in God's Word. Hear and receive the Word of God. Aren't you glad we don't live in a time when it's rare? I mean, can you imagine? It's not rare. It's prominent. Let us read it. Second, respond to it. After we hear it, obedience is expected. Remember how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount? You have the, rich, you have the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And you have the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Well, who are these people? Jesus explains. The wise man in Matthew chapter 7 is the man who hears the word of God and does it. The foolish man is the person who hears the word of God and doesn't do it. It does you no good to hear the word of God. I read from James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who is a hearer of the word, who is not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of it too. That person is the person who is blessed. You've heard it today, right? You've heard it. Are you blessed? Well, there is a blessing for hearing it, but the blessing is greater for doing it. In fact, I would say there's a, there's a responsibility now to receive it and to act upon it. It is the pastor's job. This is, this is a heavy burden. But it's the pastor's job not just to provide information to you, but to persuade you to do what is right after hearing the word of God. To persuade you. How will you respond to it? And third, relaying the word. This means, I just use an R word because I like to do that, but it just means now I'm sharing it with other people. Now I'm telling other people the word. Poor Samuel. Like I said, I don't know that he went back to bed that I mean, he went back to bed, but I don't know if he went back to sleep that night. Scripture just tells us he lay until morning, verse number 15. And he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. I imagine he's trembling. 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, who knows? And he's got to tell this old priest what God has just said. Huh. Eli comes, tell me everything, son. He calls him my son. There must have been a special relationship there. And Samuel, verse number 18 this is important, told him everything and hid nothing. Sometimes it's very tempting to want to change the message of God so that people will receive it better. 
to leave certain things out that are going to be hard to hear. I've said it this way before. Sometimes we want to water down the message or dress it up. We don't want to tell people about the wrath of God or the punishment that's going to come. A proper balance is needed. In fact, I read this several times this week. It's the job of the, of the person who's sharing the word to comfort afflicted people, but to afflict comfortable people. If you're afflicted today, you should be comforted by the word of God. But if you're comfortable in where you're at, then it's the job of the prophet, the pastor, to say, to afflict your comfort. Here's our conclusion. All right? I've given you plenty to think about, I hope, as God is working in Samuel's life. Verse number 19, he's growing. The Lord is with him. I mean, Samuel is just progressing. We've seen from chapter 1 to chapter 3, Samuel just in this constant progression, and now the Lord has revealed himself to him. And in verse number 1 of chapter 4, Samuel becomes the prophet to all of Israel. Let me ask you to do these couple of things. First, evaluate your own appetite for God's Word. Have you begun to take it for granted? Consider ways to increase how you might receive it, respond to it, and relay it to other people. May God be praised for giving us His Word. Let's pray.